0: Good evening, everyone. Good evening, those of you who are here uh, present physically and also those of you who are joining us online. Uh, My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here, and we've been walking through the book of Colossians. And let me tell you, um, I, I get into one of Paul's letters and I think to myself, man, Uh, Can it get any better than this? I felt that way over and over again as we were in the book of Ephesians, uh, just this last letter that we walked through. And Colossians just, it's that same way. It just continues to ramp up and up and up, and it gets better and better as it goes. Uh, Last week, we walked through a a passage uh, in Colossians chapter 1 where we recognized uh, this incredible truth that Jesus has delivered us who believe in him who know him as savior, that he has delivered us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Last week, we walked through uh, Colossians one and that passage where Paul talks about that. And as we were in our teaching team meeting uh, this week, uh, each week we get together. Uh, Danny, the campus pastor here, Reno, our lead pastor, myself, uh, and quite a few other uh, incredible men and women that bring uh, the beauty and light of, of the gospel to each text that we walk through. Uh, we're in a room each Monday. Uh, uh, Eddie's been coming to that actually lately. Uh, Eddie, I can't wait to see you again there and. Uh, it's an awesome time, and we always kind of really dig, uh, dig into to, to the passage of like, man, what sticks out? But what was so funny about this week is that we really just couldn't get over what we had just walked through. Um, we were kind of like needing to prepare for what we've got this week, and we just kept going back to how amazing it is that Jesus has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light for those who know him. That 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 is our privilege, that when we know Jesus, that we come to know him, that that we're brought into relationship with him. It's not just simply that that dynamic changes where we know our creator, but that he literally transfers us, our destiny, our experience, the, the life that we live here on planet Earth and and what what will happen in the next life for us is completely changed by that relationship that we have with Jesus because of what Jesus has done for us, and so we just really kind of stuck in that moment of like uh, of unpacking the reality of that truth and this uh, this story came to light that that uh, we kind of talked through, and, and actually it 's a story uh, that uh, we have put together in a video for you of a rescue that took place uh, of an American woman who was Uh, working with uh, an organization in Somalia. She was an aid worker there. Uh, Her car was hijacked. She was brought uh, into captivity for quite a few days in a very scary place, and then something changed. So I want uh, to look at that story together because as we move into this next passage, it is so important that we recognize what context we're in. And this context is that this God that we serve Jesus, the King of Kings that we just sang about, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light. Let's take a look at this video together.
1: Jessica Buchanan was facing the end at the end of the earth. Somalia, on the farthest tip of Africa, is war-torn and lawless. This is essentially no man's land. Militias battle over an unforgiving land, as we saw while covering a famine there in 2011. It was the same year that Buchanan was with a Danish charity teaching children how to avoid landmines. On October 25th, her car was hijacked. Where did they keep you day in, day out?
2: Under trees. And outside.
1: You were outdoors for 93 days?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in in the night, they forced us to sleep out in the open.
1: Did you think the American government's watching me, they know where I am, and somebody's going to get me out of here? No. Why?
2: Because I'm just an aid worker.
1: You didn't imagine that the president of the United States knew your name?
2: Never. Never in a million years. And then all of a sudden, it's just this eruption of gunfire. And I think, okay, well, this is it. This really is truly the end. And I cover up with my blanket again, and I just start saying, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And I just remember thinking, or maybe I'm saying out loud, like, I cannot survive this.
1: She thought she was being taken by a rival group, maybe al-Shabaab, Islamic extremists who would surely kill her.
2: And then all of a sudden, I feel all these hands on me roughly grabbing at me and I try to protect myself and I pull the blanket closer on top of me and then I hear my name. But it's not a Somali accent. It's an American accent. And I can't compute. Like I can't understand that somebody with an American accent, knows my name. And they say, Jessica, we're with the American military. We're here to take you home, and you're safe.
1: The SEALs left on other helicopters. She didn't see their faces, didn't hear their names. They appeared, and they were gone.
0: Man, I tell you what, there are uh, very few things in life that I could think of that would be more terrifying than being in a situation like that. Completely and utterly helpless and needing rescue. And her story is incredible and thankfully it had a, a very happy ending, although I'm sure the trauma that she had to face and walk through was very, very real and probably continues to this day. But that story, I think, so beautifully paints a picture for us of what our spiritual condition is apart from Jesus, that we're captive, that we have no way to rescue ourselves. What are we captive to? Well, we're captive to sin. This world that we live in is fallen and it is broken. And, and, and we have uh, come into existence in a world that sin has already been taking place and And we get swept up into that reality because our nature is sinful, but also we make sinful choices. And that sin brings bondage to our lives. It doesn't deliver on the freedom that it often promises. That short-term pleasure is often accompanied by long-term pain. I don't know if you've ever experienced the feeling of being captivated or captive by your sin. I know that I have. When you've struggled with something that you hate and you wish that you could walk away from it. When you realize that the things that have been done to you have impacted you and affected you in a way that you just can't get past. Whether it's the sins that you've committed or sins that have committed, been committed against you. There are times where you just feel like there's no way out. And truly, apart from Jesus, there is no way out. But the good news is that Jesus didn't leave us alone in our sin. He didn't leave us there. He didn't find out about our captivity and then just hope it worked out for us or hope that we escaped or hope that we could find a way to move past our bondage. But instead, Jesus came and he entered in to the domain of darkness. He stepped down into this world. He took on human flesh and he dwelt among us. He got into the nitty gritty of the bondage that we are experiencing on this planet so that he could deliver us from it. And, you know, it's so interesting hearing her story of these Navy SEALs, the SEAL Team 6 coming in and saying her name with an American accent, she can't even compute it. And she's whisked away. There's gunfire. And, and then all of a sudden she's being placed in a helicopter and she's being lifted away and, and, and taken away to freedom. And, and the, the Navy SEALs, they just go on to the next mission. She never gets to meet them face to face. She never gets to look her rescuers in the eye and say, thank you for risking your life and your well-being for my safety. Simply because, not because I'm an important person. Not because I have some sort of status or uh, you know, capital. Or anything that I bring into the table. As she said, I'm just an aid worker. But you came to my rescue and you risked it all for me. Thank you. I bet she wishes that she could look, in, look them in the eyes and say thank you to them. But we have been rescued from the dominion of darkness. And the one who has rescued us invites us tonight to look into his eyes. And that's where we're going in this passage that we are stepping into tonight in Colossians chapter one, where Paul announces the good news that we have been delivered from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son. And then he says, do you want to meet your rescuer? Do you want to know who he is? Do you want to know what he's like? And to that, I would answer, and I hope you would answer with me yes, yes right? Do you want to see your rescuer face to face? And Paul, through the pages of scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes a description of this rescuer and this redeemer named Jesus. So let's open our Bibles together and discover what Paul writes about Jesus, our rescue. Colossians chapter one, we're going to be starting in. Uh, verse 15 tonight. What Paul actually does here is that he takes time to walk us through not just a simple description of who Jesus is, but he describes Jesus uh, in a beautiful and poetic way. In fact, in the original text, it's very clear that this is a, a poem Or that this is a hymn. This is probably something that early Christians would have sung in liturgy. They would have made a part of their worship services as we sang together tonight about who Jesus is. This that we're about to walk into in Colossians chapter 1 is something that would have been prayed, would have been sung by early Christians Uh, perhaps even before Paul wrote this to the Colossians, but for sure after he wrote it to the Colossians. And this poem has really two parts to it. First, Paul is gonna describe Jesus for us that, that this rescuer, this redeemer is the Lord of creation. That there is absolutely nothing that this redeemer is subjected to, but that all of creation is subjected to him. If you've been walking with us through Colossians, you know that one of the themes that we've picked out is the, the supremacy of Christ, that he is the supreme Lord of the universe. And that is the first part of this poem, this Messiah poem or this Christ hymn that we walk through. And then the second part of this Messiah poem or Christ hymn is that Jesus is the Lord over redemption. That that uh, uh, Paul goes deeper into the aspect of who Jesus is and how he redeems humanity. And And because this poem is so beautiful and because it's so good and because this is Mosaic, we're gonna split it into two weeks because God forbid we cover more than three verses in a night, you know what I'm saying? Because it's so good and there's so much here, we don't wanna miss any of it. So tonight we're gonna be talking about Jesus. We're gonna be staring into his eyes, our, de- our deliverer, our rescuer, our redeemer, that he is the Lord of creation. Paul begins in uh, Colossians 1 verse 15 by saying he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. <laughs> There's a lot here. Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. That word image in Greek is the word icon. Anybody sounds, does that sound familiar to anybody? Icon, icon, right? You've heard of a pop icon? maybe a sports icon. Uh, this is someone, an, a, a, a person that is so notable that, 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 that we as a culture know their name. We know things about them. We know what they look like. They're propped up in our cultural world and our reality as someone of note. In Greek and Roman culture, uh, icons would be made of all the different gods and goddesses that would be worshiped. And what Paul says here is that Jesus is the icon. He's the image of the invisible God. You want to know who the real God is? In fact, Paul uh, preaches a sermon. At one point, he, he uh, is uh, on his missionary journeys, and he's at this place called Mars Hill. And there's all these statues, all these icons And one of them says to the unknown God, because they kind of wanted to cover all their bases. You know what I'm saying? It's like sun and moon and stars. And they're like, well, what if somebody discovers, you know, I don't know, black matter someday or dark matter someday. Like, we got to worship that God, too. So there would be like the unknown God. Right. And so Paul points to that unknown God. And he says, actually, can I tell you about the unknown God? He's the God who made everything. Right. And Paul uses that to preach the gospel in that cultural context. Well, what Jesus is, is that he is the image of the invisible God. He is the one who shows us who God is. He's the one who shows us what God is like. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus and he'll tell you. In fact, uh, Jesus is with uh, his first followers, those 12 disciples. He's doing ministry with them. And and Jesus uh, is talking back and forth with them. And And they're kind of wrestling with who he is. They're kind of wrestling with the story that he's unfolding. And they're really not sure what the next step should be. And and they're like, well, Jesus, we're having a hard time understanding everything you're telling us. If you just would just show us the father, that would be enough for us. Right. That's kind of the conversation they're having. John 14 verses uh, eight through 12. It goes like this. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the father. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and also greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. So while Jesus is on earth, he's talking with his disciples and the disciples are like, We just want to see God. We want to see the father. Can you show us the father? And Jesus is saying, I am the image of the invisible God. No one can see God and live. But because God has clothed himself in humanity, because God has taken on human flesh, as uh, uh, we, we read from Philippians 2, Eric shared during worship tonight, that Jesus did not count equality with God or, or, uh, or the, the nature of God, something that he needed to grasp onto or hold onto, but that he added to his nature, his divine nature, humanity, and became one of us, that he took on human flesh and he dwelled among us. He did that, So that he could redeem us. But in the meantime, we get to look at him and say, now I know what God is like. If you've seen me, you have seen the father. And as we trace the the whole story of the gospel, the whole story of the Bible, as we trace how everything plays out, we see that God creates humanity in his image. That we are meant to be, humanity was meant to be the icon of the invisible God. We were meant to image God. We were meant to bear God. That humanity whose created purpose was to show the rest of creation what God is like. So God created Adam and Eve in his image. And how well did that go? Well, sin entered the world. And the image of God was Retained, but marred. We still bear the image of God. We still resemble the image of God. But sin has so affected the human condition that we cannot image God in the way that we were created to. And so Jesus took on human flesh and dwelt among us so that he could be the perfect image bearer. The image of the invisible God. So that when the rest of creation looks at Jesus, they say, Oh, that is what God is like. Also, Jesus takes on human flesh and he shows us what humanity should have been like. So, Jesus, the God man, takes on human flesh, dwells among us, and shows us who the invisible God is. Man, I tell you what, there are times in my life where I think to myself, Man, It is difficult to worship a God that I cannot see. Anybody ever struggle with that? (laughs) Just show me the father and that'll be enough, right? I can totally relate with what Philip said. But God's answer to that angst in our soul is Jesus. And Jesus did come at a real point in human history. He did live A perfect, sinless life. He did miracles. He raised the dead. He uh, spoke the truth and taught with authority. And his followers watched him. And they saw him do all of these things and perform all of these miracles. And when the Roman government, in conjunction with the nation of Israel, decided that, that the creator was not fit to live in his creation and crucified Jesus. When that happened. When we participated in the worst sin of all, it was because of what Jesus did. It was because of his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection that we can be redeemed. And so he's the image of the invisible God. He's the one who shows us who God is, and he's the one who is able to make us The way that we were always meant to be. It's amazing. It's amazing. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He makes us become the able to bear the image of God people that we were created to be. And Paul goes on to say that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Now, that at first glance can sound a little bit like, okay, now what exactly are you saying, Paul? Because when we're talking about Jesus, remember, we're talking about one person who has two natures. That Jesus has a divine nature, and he added to that divine nature humanity. How many persons is Jesus? How many natures does Jesus have? Two. So Jesus is one person with two natures. And he's part of the Trinitarian God. He is the second person of the Trinity. How many gods do we serve? And how many persons are in the Trinity? So there's one God, three persons, and the second person in the Trinity is one person with two natures. You got it? It's so easy and simple, right? That's why hundreds of thousands of words have not been written on this subject. No, they definitely have, right? But Jesus is... The firstborn over all creation, not in the sense of his divinity that he was born or that he was created. In fact, what Paul's gonna to continue to explain in this passage is gonna eradicate that notion that if we uh, ever hear someone knocking on our door, maybe they're between the age of 18 and 20, and they have elder so and so in front of their name. And they want to talk theology with us, right? This is what the Mormon religion teaches, is that Jesus was a man who became God. That's heresy. It's not good theology. We don't believe that as Christians, as followers of Jesus. Now, if you're here and you're like, well, man, I've, I've actually grown up in Mormonism. I'm, I'm interested to hear a little bit more about what you mean. Or I have a very close friend who's Mormon. Man, some of the kindest people you'll, you'll ever meet. I have great respect for them. However, on this very important point, we have to part ways. Because Jesus is fully God and fully man and to be fully God, to be the God of the universe, you cannot be created. Our God is the uncreated one. He's eternal. He's the first cause. So Jesus being the firstborn of creation is really a messianic title that is being ascribed to him by Paul. What what? What being the firstborn means is that Jesus, that his role is to be the most important human being to have ever lived. That he is the firstborn of all creation in this sense. David was called the firstborn. And yet we know David, King David, if you, if you remember the story, uh, Samuel comes to anoint him. And David's father is like, uh, yeah, I've got all these sons. Which one, which one do you think uh, should be the next king of Israel? Here's my firstborn. And Samuel's like, nope, not him. Keeps going down the line, secondborn. Nope, not him, not him. Finally, they get to David. David's out like tending sheep because he's the runt of the family. And the father has no concept that Samuel might be there to anoint him because everything was about the firstborn. And God said, no, actually, David, you're gonna be the firstborn. You're gonna be the king. And that concept that Paul is unpacking here is that Jesus, because he is the mode and the method of redemption for humanity, that he is the firstborn over all creation. Paul talks about this in Romans 5 when he says that Jesus is the truer and better or the second Adam, that Adam was the first human that was created and he did not fulfill the calling on his life to obey God. But Jesus became the firstborn over all creation because he was the human being who fully and perfectly obeyed God. And because of that, all of the rest of humanity can be redeemed through him. That that sin entered the world through Adam's disobedience, but eternal life enters the story because of Christ's perfect Obedience. So when Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, he's not saying that Jesus was had a beginning. In fact, at one point in Jesus' ministry, they're saying, "What authority gives you? uh, Do you have to be teaching the things and saying the things and doing the things that you're doing?" And Jesus said, "Before Abraham was, I am." They all fell over, (laughs) and then they wanted to kill him. Why? Because that statement was a statement about his origins, that he is the I am. When God was sending Moses into Egypt before the Exodus, Moses is like, Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. Who should I tell uh, Pharaoh sent me? Because there's got to be some deity I've got to attach this to. And God said, tell him, I am. I am who I am. So when Jesus says before Abraham was, I am, he is claiming to be God. If you take like a Christian religion or a religion class in, in a, a secular university, they'll be like, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. That is hogwash. He claimed to be God over and over and over again. And so when, when Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, he's talking about Jesus as Messiah. Jesus has the most important human, that he is the one who was given to humanity for our redemption. Paul continues in verse 16. He says, now, now let me unpack this for you. What I mean by this idea of firstborn, he says, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth. So he's talking about uh, uh, everything that is created was created by Jesus. So if Jesus was created, could everything be created by Jesus? Jesus is the God of the universe, the uncreated one who by him, all things were created. Paul continues, things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Several things going on in just this one little sentence What Paul is saying is, first of all, I want to include everything you can imagine in this whole picture. Uh, (laughs) All things were created in heaven or on earth, visible or invisible. He's covering his bases, right? Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Now, there is a connection here to what we're going to find in the rest of Paul's letter. Remember, uh, if you've been walking with us, what's going on in Colossae right now there's a lot going on. There was a major earthquake just a couple of years earlier. There's an economic downturn because some roads have been changed from going through Colossae to going through uh, Laodicea instead. Because of that, uh, they're sitting there asking the question, like, what did we do wrong? Did we anger the gods? Like, what's going on? Why is everything going bad in Colossae? And Paul is saying, uh, the answer to your question is not trying to appease all the other gods. It's not trying to, you know, you know, get the angels to go talk to God about it. Like none of those types of things that, that uh, an ancient person might have thought through, like, well, maybe this is what we should do. Or maybe that's what we should do. Paul is saying none of that is going to be your answer. Go straight to the source. Go straight to Jesus. Go straight to the Lord of creation. For he is the one by all of these things, by him, everything has been created. So Paul is covering his Basis and and also, he's, he's talking about creation in this sense that everything was created by him, he's the cause of creation, everything is created through him, that he was intimately involved in the mode of creation, and that ultimately everything is created for him, which means everything that exists exists. For his glory exists for his name exists for his causes and for his purposes. And so often our culture tells us that we are the product of random chance that our life has no true intrinsic meaning other than to live, breathe, eat, drink, be merry, because tomorrow we're all going to die. And what Paul is saying is no Your life has infinite value and worth because you were created by Jesus. You were created through Jesus and you were created for Jesus. Your life has an intense purpose and it's to glorify God. The Westminster Confession says that the chief end of man or the purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And that's really where Paul is getting to next that to enjoy him forever let 's go back to the the moment where uh, Jessica realized that that her rescuer had arrived, the moment where she hears her name uh, in a, a way that she had no imagination or space in her head to understand or comprehend, and she 's whisked away on a helicopter, only wishing that she could stare her rescuers into the eyes. See the ones who had redeemed her and given her new life. Jesus, who has given us new life, who has created us for his glory and so that we might enjoy him forever. Paul says, verse 17, that he, Jesus, is before all things. He comes first. He's the most Important being in the universe. Nothing can compare to him. Nothing will compare to him. Try and stack anything up to Jesus and it will fall woefully short. Jesus is before all things. This is a term of preeminence that he comes before everything else. He's the first cause. He's the meaning of it all. He matters most, and in him, in Jesus, all things hold together. And Jesus holds all things together. I don't know what your story has been up to this point. I know that 2020 was a crazy year. 2021 is turning out to be just as crazy, right? We're recognizing that we're living in a world that's broken and it's fallen. and, And I don't know what you are coming into this night with. I don't know what you're walking through right now. I know I'm walking through my own things. I know that I have things in my past that I continue to walk through. And tonight, what is so encouraging to me is that the Lord of creation, this God of the universe, this exalted King of Kings, Jesus Christ, the one who created everything, everything was created through him, because of him, and everything was created for him. He cares enough about you and me to hold the very fiber of our beings together. He's holding it all together. When the world feels like it's spinning out of control, remember that Jesus is holding your very life together. That Jesus, who is the one who redeemed you, is the Lord of creation and nothing is catching him by surprise. And when we struggle, when we suffer, know that Jesus cares about it, that he's in it with you, that he's holding you together when you feel like things are falling apart. Jesus is not up in heaven, seated at the throne, wondering what's going on with his creation down here. But he's intimately and deeply involved in every detail of our lives and is literally holding the fabric of the universe together. Paul says in Romans that he is able to take every situation and every circumstance that we face in this life and work those things for our Good and for God's glory. That Jesus, the Lord of creation, is also the Lord of redemption, and He is able to take every difficult circumstance, every difficult thing we walk through, and make good come from it. There are moments, man, I'm telling you, there are moments where I look around at the the world we live in and the tragedy that strikes and the things that are are still broken about this planet because Jesus has not yet returned to put an end to all things death. When I look around and I recognize that Jesus is able in the midst of a fallen and broken world to redeem every moment of our lives for his glory, man, that is so encouraging. So I don't know where you sit tonight. I don't know if you're struggling. I don't know if you're in the valley. I don't know if you're doing well and on the mountaintop. And I don't know if you're somewhere in between. Maybe you're bored. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you're fulfilled. Maybe you're just excited about what's next. That the the God of the universe is able to take each and every one of us and walk us through this life and hold us together no matter what is going on around us. And he's able to do all of those things that are necessary by his sovereign hand to work every circumstance we experience for our good and for his glory. Tonight, wherever you are, know this that Jesus is holding you together. And there will come a day when he will return and he will make everything that is wrong right. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He will welcome us into fellowship with him for eternity. But in the meantime, know that he's holding everything together by his sovereign power. And the book of Colossians points us to this redeemer, points us to this rescuer who is good. He is powerful. He is able And he is sovereign. And there is nothing that he answers to. And that he is the final answer. He is the final word. He is the alpha and he is the omega. And we can, despite any of the circumstances we face today, put our hope in him. Let's pray together. God, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this poem that the Apostle Paul gives to the church. By your spirit, through your word, that we can read this poem about you and be encouraged about who you are, Jesus. God, I thank you that we're not left alone to fend for ourselves and figure out this life. God, I thank you that we have been delivered from the dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light. God, I thank you that we are not just stuck hoping for better circumstances, but that we can lift our eyes to you, Jesus, the author of all creation. And God, we can recognize that you are working in the midst of our circumstances for our good and for your glory. God, I pray that whatever we may be walking through in this space, that you would help us to lift our eyes to you, Jesus, and to see you for who you are. God, whether we're in the valley or on the mountaintop or somewhere in between, we would recognize that your right hand upholds us, that you are mighty to save, that you are able to rescue, that you are able to redeem. So God, I help us to look to you, Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, the supreme and sovereign ruler, creator, sustainer of the universe, of the cosmos of everything visible, invisible, Thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. Everything was created by you, through you, and for you. You hold it all together. So, Jesus, help us to look to you tonight to give you the honor that you deserve, the glory that you deserve, the allegiance that you deserve, our hearts and our minds and our lives, every moment of our days. As we wake up in the morning, that our first thoughts would be of you as we go to bed at night, you would be on our mind. That we would press into you in moments of difficulty. And God, we would not forget you in moments of triumph. God, help us to be people who see your sovereign glory for what it is, that it is the source of our life, the source of our freedom and the source of our joy. And God, I thank you that we we can live an eternity upon an eternity upon an eternity. Searching out your goodness, searching out your wonder, searching out your beauty and that it will never end. So Jesus, we look to you tonight. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you are the rescuer and that we can stare you into the eyes tonight. Behold our King, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus. We love you and it's in your name that we pray, amen.